Thanks for joining me on this journey to building authority online and sharing your message with a world who desperately needs to hear it. I'm your host, Valerie Morris, and I am excited to share today's interview with you. Today's podcast is brought to you by the book, We're All Ears. This is your guide to building influence, impact, and success online in a noisy world. This book is unique because I included experts' knowledge as well as things that I've learned along the way to help give you the tools you need to get your message out there. Without further ado, let's dig in. Thanks so much for joining me today. I have my friend Ian Simpkins here, and I am so excited to have Ian share with us today. Ian, why don't you tell us a little bit about your expertise and what do people know you in the world for? Oh my goodness. That's a question. Holy cow. What do they know me in the world for? Uh, I guess I guess that depends on who you ask. Like, I grew up outside Detroit. I'm the oldest of seven kids. So there we were, you know, the homeschool family. We were the family... <laughs> that loved to procreate. Uh, And then I moved out to uh, Chicagoland. I was studying student ministry at a a small American Baptist school. And there I was probably known as like the kid that just never slept, um, which is still sometimes true. Uh, And then took a job as a youth pastor and was kind of known as this like rapscallion student pastor. And we converted our youth building to a venue. So we were hosting like like shows with like punk and metal bands every weekend and we ended up getting shut down by the city and so I was like known for that and then (laughs) our lead pastor was uh was removed from leadership and the whole church was kind of spiraling so they invited me to the elders actually asked if I would be the lead pastor and I told them no and then they said well would you at least pray about it I was like well shoot okay I guess I can't say no (laughs) so then I was known as like the the guy was way too young and inexperienced to be a pastor. And, um, and then kind of in the midst of all that, uh, started a couple of um, passion projects. Uh, one of them called Beauty in the Common. That's a, like a really collaborative kind of online digital community of uh, artists and storytellers and writers. And um, I also pastor a church in, uh, in Naperville, Illinois. Among other things, I had my uh, first child uh, a little, almost a year ago. Um, so I'm also, I'm Papa and I'm husband now too. So, uh, that's, I guess I'm, is that enough? That's a few things, I guess. That's a few things. Yeah. (laughs) A few people know who you are, right? I I mean, my family does my wife and my son. (laughs) That's that's about, that's about all that matters. Maybe. (laughs) Well, it's interesting because so uh, Ian and I both went to Judson together for college and I actually was talking with a student there recently who was interviewing to do some work for me and for my team. And I was like, yeah, you know, Ian Simpkins. And she's like, oh yeah, I know who you are. (laughs) Oh no, that can't be a good sign. Everyone knows who you are. (laughs) That's not true. (laughs) Okay, maybe just a few people. (laughs) Maybe at the Judson world, yeah. The Judson world, yeah. So, okay, so I have been watching what you've been creating with Beauty in the Common over the last few years. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that and what, what made you guys decide to start Beauty in the Common and how have you seen it impact people? Yeah, so the, the origins of that whole project has been so surprising because we, in my last church, uh, part of the arrangement was that they had this, this big old house that the pastor got to live in. It's called the Parsonage and it sat on, you know, 10 acres of property in the middle of the suburbs, which is a really strange kind of setup. So I had this huge house and I wasn't married at the time. I didn't have kids. And so we would just 
host these parties at my house and we would have we would hire DJs and we'd have dance parties and we would have these songwriter nights uh, where we'd invite people to share songs and poetry whether they'd been doing it their whole lives or they'd never shared anything in public before at all and we'd come up with different themes each night so we had a, a, a theme one night that was heritage and people were writing songs in honor of you know their great-grandparents or their country of origin and everything kind of circled around that and um, we had a little like leadership team that started to develop that would think through what we wanted you know the next month's theme to be and I was I was at the time really grappling I was spending some time in, in the book of Genesis and I was grappling with this idea of this so-called sacred secular divide. I was, I was interacting with a lot of Christians that seemed to really believe that there's like, I, there's this holy space and then there's like the rest of my life. And I like, couldn't, I couldn't shake the feeling that I was like, I don't think that's actually how it works. That it's like, Oh, here's my church stuff. And then there's like just the rest of the rest of life. And I, we were just kind of talking out loud and I said, I'm really interested in helping people see the beauty in the common. And someone like at the other end of the table was like, who, where did that come from? Whose is that? Like, I think it's from my brain. I'm not. And then somebody else like on their phone was like, the domain is available. You should buy the domain. <laughs> I was like, Whoa, I don't, well, I don't, I'm just, we're just, you know, talk, we're just riffing out loud. And so the rest of the night we, you know, ended up talking about the idea of being captivated by, by beauty, not in like the really obvious places, like a, a mountaintop or a waterfall, but like these little small tiny like sacred interactions in like everyday life that had nothing to do with an address or a microphone or a megatron or like it just like available to all of us and in the midst of all that judson uh, invited me to speak for a week at what they call spiritual enrichment week and they pretty much said do you have a topic that you're like excited about right now and i kind of i really didn't think they were they were going to go for it and i said i've been wrestling with this beauty in the common idea and I gave them like the 30 second elevator pitch and they were like we love it you tell us whatever you need to do and and we'll make it happen so, so that became a really beautiful partnership because they helped kind of resource and, and they helped me think through things that I don't know that I would have had the bandwidth to do on my own mm. so, so what we did was because it was a, a five-day conference um, each day we sort of structured as sort of a, a binary narrative so it would be like Beauty and chaos, beauty and stillness, beauty in community, beauty in um, isolation, beauty in the plan, beauty in the spontaneous and stuff like that. And so I invited uh, friends who were songwriters to write original songs about those themes. And so what I told the leadership was, I was like, in instead of me just like speaking for 35 minutes, which is kind of normative, what if I spoke for like 10 minutes and we invited like songwriters and painters and poets and dancers to like kind of add different expressions to these themes. And at first they did say no. And I kind of pressed them on it a little bit and they eventually agreed. And so we had this week of exploring these things that we have in common because common really is like a common means a couple of things. Not only is it like ordinary and mundane, but it's also like what's shared, like what we have in common. Sure. And so like songwriters from all over the place wrote these original songs and we had people choreograph dances and compose original artwork like live on stage. And for, for Judson, we'd, I, we'd never done anything like that before. And it was amazing. And I didn't, uh, I didn't hear any of the songs ahead of time. I said, I want to experience it with everybody, which was terrifying because <laughs> I didn't vet any of it, you know, and this is my alma mater, <laughs> but it was, 
I, it was incredible when we started this hashtag, hashtag beauty in the common, and we invited students to start sharing their own stories using this hashtag. And like that just started to blow up and we invited people to write these, you know, original kind of devotional things. So, so that week ended and all of us kind of high fived and we're like, oh, that was, that was fun. You know, see, see you later. And all of the songwriters were like, well, what, what's next? What do we do next? <laughs> and like, truthfully, I was not thinking about what was next. I was like, this, we planned this thing for these five days and now we're done. And one of the songwriters um, actually had a studio out here in Naperville. He's like, well, would you at least let me like record these songs and we can, you know, compile them as some sort of EP or whatever. And then a bunch of students at Judson who were studying film were like, well, would you let us like record them? Like they would be really, we'd love to record the whole, um, the whole day of like capturing the audio for these artists. And then another videographer was like, well, would you let me interview the artists and, um, and kind of like create a whole video package of this. So, so we ended up getting a couple, a couple new artists and from like 8 a.m. to midnight, we recorded uh, audio and film of like 16 artists uh, in this one studio, like in the woods in Naperville. And, um, and even then we didn't really know why we were doing it. Like we recorded it and it was a mate, like we made meals together and like people collaborated on each other's songs. And it was like, at the end of the day, it was kind of one of those, everyone kind of stepped back. and was like, okay, that was electric. That was, that was something, yeah. but we still didn't know what to do with it. So I was reading uh, um, uh, a local theologian that I really respect named Scott McKnight. And he was talking about the, the earliest structure of the very first church gatherings involved five components. And it was word, meal, song, time, and prayer. Hmm. And I'd never heard anybody talk about those before. And I was really fascinated with that structure of, of those five components. So we, we came up with this idea of the common year which is sort of what I think Reading the Common has uh, become most known for is this year-long project where I just invited people from all over the world to write a, a short kind of, we call them narratives, that, that follows those five structures. The, the word portion is sort of like your, your, what you would think of as a devotional, but then we challenge writers to think through what's a, what's a song that really resonates with this idea? What's a meal that you think of? Um, what's a way that someone can actually live this out and they write a prayer. And like the thing that really blew me away is that we have Catholics and Protestants and Orthodox and agnostics and atheists. Like we have a whole mess of different types of people writing these narratives. And so each month we release a song based on the theme for the month. And then once a week we release these narratives written by people, many of whom have never met, don't go to a church, have no interest in like, me being a pastor at all. And they're like all kind of interacting with these ideas of how do we find beauty in these like really common, ordinary shared spaces. And the, the thought behind beauty is that rather than trying to convince people, we're offering to invite them. We're, yeah. less, we're less interested in trying to like push someone into a particular category or to make a certain decision. Be beauty isn't about convincing, it's about inviting. And so we kind of keep that that idea in the forefront that we're just inviting people to this experience and uh and it's been a pretty wild ride so far that's amazing that's sorry that was a lot of content <laughs> yeah okay so how has this experience impacted you as you see oh. it evolve yeah that's a great question i so the thing with beauty in particular that i've i found so fascinating is that and I didn't realize this when we began, the Catholic church 
has long since articulated what they call the transcendentals. Mm -hmm. The transcendentals are truth, goodness, and beauty. And they're kind of borrowed from, from Plato's forms, like the form of the highest form. This, these are the three attributes that are found. And in my experience growing up in a church, and I had a, a lovely church experience and two parents that love God and like love their community really well. In truth, goodness, and beauty, I really only interacted with the first two. Truth is sort of like your, you know, your doctrine piece. And I study to be a pastor. And so that's something that I, I really care about. The goodness piece is sort of like your, that's your ethics piece. Like, you know, we, we should be making a difference for good in the world. But nobody had ever talked to me about beauty at all. Like beauty became this like, like the forgotten child in this, in this weird trinity. And the thing that's really affected me is that it's taught me that like being captivated by wonder and awe, it, like it isn't just icing on the cake if you have time. Like it actually has formative qualities that like, like as humans, it's so easy for us to let, latch on to what is like broken and negative and unraveling. And like, even with the, the week that we're having as a country, like everything that's, that's ugly is sort of like in, in our face. And I, I remember hearing a neuroscience talk about a neuroscientist talk about this. He said that um, when it comes to negativity, our brains are like Velcro. When it comes to beauty, our brains are like Teflon. And to actually achieve like the physiological benefits of pondering or observing beauty, like we, we need to sit in it for a minimum of five seconds. And I was thinking about my own life and I was like, I don't sit and ponder beauty ever. Like even a, even a great sunset, I like look at for a second and then I'm on to like my next thing. And so this, this whole thing for me personally, honestly, has, has like deeply built into me like a, a much greater affection for the rhythms of like meditation and margin and rest and all the things that I'm terrible at because I'm always doing something, you know? So it's helped me to like, to be captivated again, you know, this idea of like childlike wonder and awe, like, and even having a kid myself, like seeing the world through his eyes, like I'm realizing the thing about beauty is that we, we try so hard to commodify it and it just can't be, it can't be commodified. It's like the one non-commodifiable resource. And it's, it's such a fascinating thing to me because beauty isn't utilitarian. Like it can't, it's, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't actually make any real sense and yet when we see something beautiful and we experience that, especially in the context of community, it like changes people. And it's been really remarkable to have something that I dreamt up, like change and affect me. It's really, it's really, really humbling, but it's been, it's been pretty, it's been pretty wild. That's great. That's great. I'm, I'm actually really curious to see like how this evolves further. I don't, <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I don't think it's the end for Beauty in the Common. I think it's just kind of the start of it. So I think you're right. And, and to be honest, like it's, it's the team that has continued to sort of push me. Like I'm always like really trepidatious. Like I don't want to ask too much of people because this is a passion project for everybody. So all, all the videographers, all the artists, like everyone's doing it for free. We're not making any money. And I'm always like a little bit skittish to like ask them to do more. And they're the ones that keep pushing me and say, you need to dream bigger. You need to articulate the vision over and over again. Like they're the ones that keep, dreaming what that next phase could be and i'm i'm so immensely grateful for them because they're they're really they're the fire and the lifeblood of the whole thing like it's it's been re remarkable to see them kind of step into their own that's amazing yeah. wow okay so you you're beauty in the common but then you also fill this pastor role 
Yep. Day by day, week by week. <laughs> and um, <laughs> we've been friends now for well over 10 years. Yeah. Facebook's been around for well over 10 years. And I've been seeing, um, even though we live across the country, I've been seeing how you put, you plant a lot of ideas in people's minds. Um, <laughs> especially with just, you have a lot of one-liners that you put out there uh, to the world on social media. Um, and so I see a lot of those as actually pushing the boundaries because I think a lot of them are very timely in when you, when you post them and they're very well thought out. Um, but I'm curious, like, how do you approach these ideas when you know something that you want to share with the world, whether it's something on social media or it's something even in a sermon at church? Mm. How do, how do you approach these ideas when you know it's something that is probably going to ruffle a few feathers? It's probably <laughs> going to push the status quo. Um, you know, you might get a little bit of hate mail. You know, like, how do you approach that? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you probably give me more credit than I deserve with regards to how well thought out they are. I, I, I try for them to be. I appreciate you saying that. Uh, it is, it's a, it's a dance for sure because there are, the thing about being a pastor is that um, like at our church, the demographic runs the gamut, way mm -hmm. left, way right, really progressive, really traditional. And the thing that I love about the local church is that these are all people that I love. Like they're not, they, they don't just like fill a spreadsheet. Like, oh, I know that we have people that voted left and voted right. So I got to like keep this in mind. I'm like, no, that's so-and-so and that's so-and-so. And when I think about the stuff that I post or don't post, I'm constantly keeping all of those spectrums in mind. Like I'm not looking to, to burn one belief system to the ground. And the thing that has continued to give me hope is that oftentimes, you know how like, if you spend time on social media, you know people that are always gonna post in support of this candidate and they're always gonna post in support. Of, they're always gonna be very, mm -hmm. it's, it's predictable. And they're, they're really opposed to anyone who holds different opinions. Sometimes when I, when I make these comments online, I'll see those two opposing parties actually like interact in ways that are like respectful and uh, sometimes even reach agreements on things. And they have no idea sometimes who, who the other one is, but I know who they are. Right. In a weirdly selfish way, that gives me hope for the world. I was like, because, because I made this like dumb one liner, you guys are now having like a really, really loving, patient conversation about an important topic that I don't think you otherwise would have. And I'm not saying they became best friends and they like opened a donut shop together, but they like it's providing opportunities for people to engage that maybe otherwise wouldn't because we're just sort of, we're kind of caught in our echo chambers, right? And like confirmation bias is such a strong influencer of our opinion. And so we're, we're that much more likely to keep posting from the website that we already agree with or the candidate that we already agree with or the writer we already agree with that some of that ruffling of feathers for me it isn't meant to cause some sort of existential crisis. It's meant to sort of like fog up the glasses a little bit, you know, like worldviews are like glasses for the most part. I'm not thinking about looking through a lens, but we're all looking through a lens and it's not until something fogs them up that I'm like aware that I'm wearing them. So if I can like fog up lenses a little bit every once in a while and people can take them off and go, Oh yeah, that's, that's what that is. That's what I'm seeing through. I was handed a particular tradition or a particular way of seeing the world. And I'm not even asking people to change their glasses, but to be more aware of the fact that we're all the product of some kind of worldview and some kind of system that has helped inform that. And, and so, yeah, there is some pressure sometimes because like 
if you had any idea the amount of things that I've had typed out that instead of hitting post, I hit delete. Um, some of them would be really embarrassing. Cause I, you know, like anybody, sometimes I see something, I get so fired up and I'm like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta let the world know how I feel about that. And that's not, it's not, that's not good leadership. And that isn't, I wouldn't be shepherding our community well, because sometimes, sometimes the temptation to be divisive just for being, just for divisive sake is not, is not helpful. So I've had to really work through thinking through, okay, what, what are the various different streams that will be observing this? And how can I, how can I still poke the bear a little bit, but in a way that like has some imagination to it, has some creativity to it. Like, like that's to me so often what I found so fascinating about Jesus when he had plenty of opportunities just to outright say something. Instead, he tells a story, right? Instead he uses like a weird word picture and everyone's sort of like, wait, why would he say that right now? Like, I think if we're to take our cues from him, sometimes pastors in particular would do well, I think to, to embrace a little finesse, a little, a little imagination, a little creativity. You know, I think when, when, when culture of his time wanted Jesus to either choose A or B, he's mm-hmm. so often proposing C, yeah. you know, like someone strikes you on the cheek. So do I either hit them back or do I run away? And he's like, no, I'm going to offer you a totally like never thought of solution. And, and I think that's, that's how I try at best, I think, to approach a social media presence to keep in mind if the goal is just to piss people off with, I mean, that's uninspired to me. That's not hard to do. Um, <laughs> for me, the, the goal is to help engage more thoughtful dialogue about the topics that I think need to be talked about. Yeah. Well, and one thing I noticed that you do really well is that you comment and respond back a lot. Not, not probably every time, but not every time. <laughs> but um, I think a lot of times your responses are just very, very thoughtful in the way that you still leave the other person open, having their own perspective mm. or thought. Um, is that something you feel like you've learned over time how to do, or is that just something? Is that just a natural Ian Simpkins <laughs> strength there? <laughs> can I can I be honest? I think it has. M- more to do with my insecurity than anything i'm like Mm. i'm perpetually open to the possibility that i'm way wrong Mm. so when somebody particularly someone that i perceive as like way smarter than me and if they you know you can tell things are starting to heat up for me to leave it open to the possibility that they're right is because i believe they really might be right like (laughs) like it's that that for me is never far from my my brain they're like i might be off on this so i try that's what that's why i try to post things as questions um like hey is it possible that could we consider that you know like some of that stuff i I realize also really um it disarms people so rather than sort of just soapboxing people with a megaphone it's like hey what if we considered this like has anyone thought about that like everyone's blood pressure just lowers when when it becomes yeah and people i think expect pastors to be like proselytizers and evangelists and we're always trying to like you know, win you over, which I've never really thought about. Maybe that's the common thread because so much of the beauty of the common stuff is we're not trying to get you to sign on any dotted line anywhere. Like mm-hmm. this isn't owned by a church or any kind of entity or denomination. Like it's a journey that we're processing through. And I think that's maybe more a microcosm of the human condition than anything is that, yes, we may vote Republican or vote Democrat or I'm Presbyterian or Methodist, but th- like those things aren't who we actually are. And I think 
what we get lost in is thinking that my politics is my identity mm. and that does not lead to helpful places. And it, it's why I think we end up shouting across the aisle at each other louder and louder and louder. And I'm like, you guys want to get a beer? Like, can we just get a burger together? Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know that this shouting is, and I'm not saying there aren't times where we definitely need to shout. Like there's stuff that's happened where I'm like, all right, it's time to get the picket sign. Like that it's reached a point where like, we can't sure. just have a conversation. Like I, I'm not saying that there's not time for that. But in, in the commenting, my hope is because sometimes, you know, when you post stuff and you know this, like you've ruminated on it, you've stewed on it. In your mind, it's really clear what you mean by what you're posting. Sure. And what the comments sometimes reveal is like your little pithy truism is not as clear as you think it is. Mm. And somebody totally misinterprets it or, or maybe they interpret it correctly because I did not word it well. And they leave a comment like, are you saying this? And that's also really humbling. I'm grateful for people to, that rather than just walk away from the screen and be like, that Ian is an idiot. They're like, hey, is this what you meant? Is this, is this really what you believe? And I'm like, holy cow, no, that's not what I believe. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. The more that people do that, the more relational equity you can develop with people that are like, oh, we're not, we're not trying to burn each other to the ground here. Like we're actually trying to develop a thoughtful process and, and hopefully a space where people can engage um, with grace and and kindness yeah so clearly there are some people that don't always agree with something. <laughs> yeah. 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 um, I'm sure there's people that don't agree with the things that you're preaching on Sunday yeah. um, how do you deal how do you personally deal with criticism or when people have that difference of opinion and I think you've kind of alluded to that a little bit of just kind of recognizing hey this person might know more than me but yeah I mean that's <laughs> That's a multifaceted question. I, it's what got me into playing drums in the first place, to be honest, when I was a kid and I would get like all riled up about something and people would be like, you should journal your thoughts. And I'm like, that's not going <laughs> to, I need, I need to like get some energy out. Uh -huh. so like, I learned very early that I was like, sometimes, honestly, I need to go for a run. I need to go like physically process this and, and drumming has been, a lifesaver for me. But I, I think in a weird way, working in a church context has helped me to develop thick skin. Uh, it's helped me to see the person before the comment, if that makes sense, like the humanity of the person saying it. Mm. Uh, and I, I think that there's, it's really, really easy to see people as the sum of their commentary. Like, oh, this person said this, this, and this, and they're, so they're this person. Um, I, I don't think that's a helpful way to look at our common person because not only do we all have off days and we say stuff we don't mean, but like, if, if we can get to a place where we can at least recognize, I think this person wants the same goal. Like, I really don't believe this person to be a murderer that wants everyone to be miserable. Like, I think we're all in our own language, in our own ways, like going after the same thing, even though we like are diametrically opposed in this issue. And the words that they used were pretty mean pretty rude like that doesn't diminish that I like you know there's still definitely a part of me that like that stings but if I can like it is I think in some ways part of the benefit of social media a lot of people tend to highlight um the problems with social media is that you're not actually seeing people face to face which is which is true but I, but I think it also is it's helpful that it gives us a chance to take a deep breath in and a deep breath out before responding and I've been grateful for a chance to, to step back and say, all right, 
these are the words they're saying, but what does this person actually actually mean by what they're saying? And sometimes, you know, you just don't agree and that's fine. That's okay to like walk away from a discussion, but that, and some stuff's scarier than others. Like, you know, I've gotten, I've gotten threats before people have like sent me private messages. Like, I know where you live. And you're like, really? You were that fired up about that? Oh, my bad. You know, I don't think you know where I live, but that's always really, and honestly that I've been really, really um, blessed by mentors in my life who are 20, 30 years older. Sure. That the stuff that really fires me up um, gets me thinking crazy thoughts. You know, you meet with them and they have just the wisdom of time, the wisdom of perspective. And they'll say things like, I remember the first time I got a threat and I, I like printed it out and I brought it to one of my mentors and he read it and he's like, yeah, welcome to ministry. I was like, <laughs> what? That's a thing? He's like, yeah, man, you can't let that stuff derail you. That's just going to, that's going to drive you crazy. And Did it was he like, tell you about that in college? <laughs> right, right. That was not a <laughs> seminary course dealing with uh, <laughs> ransom letters. Oh, it was, but it's, it's humbling when somebody's been doing it for a lot longer kind of helps offer you some perspective like you don't you don't need to lose perspective over this gotcha yeah wow so you you do a lot here where like you've got people responding back to things online you've got this this beauty in the common forum um a lot of people are responding to that as well um I think a huge piece of what you're, you've been talking about here is just really looking for the humanity and, and listening to people and, and recognizing and hearing their voice. Um, whether it's online or digital, or it, whether it's in-person or digital, <laughs> um, how, can, how can people be better listeners? And what are some of those key things that are you know, crucial for, yeah. for listening well? And that is the million dollar question. That's a great question. I think, I think I honestly just posted this last week. Um, I said something like, we need to learn to listen to understand, not to respond. Mm. And, you know, so I grew up in a family of nine people. Like we're always talking over each other all the time. Like it is like a fight to the death to get your joke in or your story in or whatever. So I, I have, that's been a real struggle for me. Like if you're sitting with coffee with someone, they're sharing something. My brain's instantly thinking like, how can I respond to this? How can I, and I think we all do that to a, to a point. And it was when I realized I was doing that, that I was able to start to change. Like all you're doing is nodding your head, waiting for your chance to say your thing. And that ultimately is sort of self-serving. Like I just, I think at the core, when we fail to actually listen to people, it's because we think what we have to say is more valuable or more timely or more clever or what, whatever it is. And I think until we actually believe that the, that the person that we're sitting across the table with or the person that we're dialoguing with online, until we actually believe that they, they have something really valuable to contribute as well, we're just going to keep talking over each other. And, we, and I see it all the time. Like sometimes it's, it, it is typically the one comment that I, I won't often respond to when it's really clear that all they're doing is picking a fight. Mm-hmm. They're not engaging with the content. They're not, they're, they're belittling the other people in the thread. Like that, that is really one of the, that's one of the tactics that I, I am not, I have a hard time engaging with because it just yeah. seems really obvious. Like, Oh, you just are trying to, you're trying to rattle everybody just for the sake of rattling them. And, and, and this isn't really an answer, but like, over the last 15 years of being a pastor, there have been people 
who have absolutely floored me with their wisdom and insight and, and compassion that at first blush, I did not expect from them. And the more that like you experience that kind of love and that kind of intelligence and that kind of thoughtfulness in, in people or in places that you didn't anticipate it, the, the more that it will condition you to like, Hey, pay attention, dummy. Like this is remember your inclination to talk over people. Remember your like innate desire to be heard. Now remember that time that so-and-so really surprised you with that thing that like changed your life. This might be another one of those opportunities. And like, I'm so grateful for the people that powered through like me being a talkative jerk, you know, or like, or feeling like I'm the one, you know, like, Creativity and wisdom doesn't follow a chain of command. So it's, you know, a lot of, particularly ministry, it's like a, you know, it's a pyramid. Like I'm at the top. So I talk, you listen. And I'm like, I just don't think that's the way the world works. And I think I've had 13 year olds say stuff to me that blew my mind. And in my head, I'm like, that shouldn't happen. And then I think about like, I believe that the Holy spirit speaks through whoever, whoever he wants to. So like, why would I be surprised that like something would cut me to my core when it comes out of the mouth of someone that I wasn't expecting it. So it, I don't do it well. I really, I really don't. Social media has helped, I think, because it gives that, that kind of buffer space. But to actually really, truly listen, to understand rather than to respond, um, it's, it's couched, I think, in a perpetual curiosity. I'm, I'm just endlessly curious about people and what makes them tick and what makes them sad. And it's, it's part of what I think ultimately led me to the church in the first place is that I, it's not an act. I just really find people and their stories so, so fascinating. And I think if we don't, if we don't actually believe that each person has unique dignity and a unique narrative, then we're just, we're going to keep shouting over each other. But I think when we can actually come face to face with the fact that like every human being is the Imago Dei, every human being is made in the image and likeness of a God who loves them. Like, what could be more interesting? I just think that that's such a, such a unique imitation to, to see the human sacred dignity in everybody. It, it, helps, it helps make listening a little more achievable. Mm, wow. So I know just in knowing you as a friend and hearing you talk, I know you probably don't think about what you're doing online as being this strategic, tactical way of building influence, yeah. getting your message out online. But I'm sure there are some things that you've done that you know, hey, this works better than others so that yeah. more people hear this message. Yeah. Um, whether, I mean, in your case, it's got a, a faith-filled core to your message. Other people's message might have a different foundation. But are there any things that, any, or any pieces of advice that you would give to people that are really wanting to get their message out to the world and yeah. especially online? Yeah, I, I um, gosh, that's a really good question. So at the surface, there's a lot of good research about like, you know, when to post, what time of day based on the platform, Twitter and Facebook aren't the same thing. Instagram's its own beast. Like there's a lot of really good research uh, about what, you know, paying attention to those streams and the peaks and valleys that that's worth doing. You know, I did that early on just to get a sense of like, why are these different and how, how do I interact with them uh, in a way that like honors that platform? But like, truthfully, the thing that it comes down for me is like, I have to fight the urge to not be myself. Um, mm. Like I know, I'm friends with a lot of pastors and sometimes you look at their stream, you're like, the only thing you ever post is promoting the thing your church is doing. That's so boring. That's 
That's like the equivalent of a kid in high school who's in a band, and the only time he ever talked to you is when he's like shoving a flyer in your face, like "Come see my band, come see my band." I'm like, "Aren't you also a person though? Like, what? You're not just this. You're not just a drummer. What are you doing?" So, like, for me, <laughs> and I've probably gotten in more trouble for this than I care to admit. Like, yeah, one part of it is like, "This is what our church is doing. I'd love for you to be a part of it." Sure. Another peg of it is like, "This is what my family's doing. Like, we're at the apple orchard today. Isn't that weird?" Uh, another part of it is this is what's happening in the world. This is where I think there's been a, a massive injustice or an issue I think we need to talk about. But like, truthfully, there's another part. Uh, like, I am obsessed with puns. I like love wordplay. So sometimes it, has, it doesn't have anything to do with the church or my family or current events. It's just a stupid meme that I found funny or that I thought up and I made. Like, I, I commit time to like making... <laughs> yeah right it's like such a it's such a weird and on the surface I, I i know that certain people probably see that as a waste of time like you should only be posting stuff about the gospel and about the mission and about which i'm for like i'm i'm team all of that i just think people particularly casual observers they they notice that stuff they pay attention to like wow you are you are a one-dimensional character online, and that just feels disingenuous. I think, I think we need to give people more credit to be able to sniff out like a flat pseudo promotional stream of like the best version of yourself, right? Like that's we all know that's not real. And right. now that you know, now that said, I'm not airing all my dirty laundry either. I'm not like my wife and I had this huge fight tonight. Who else had a huge fight with their wife tonight? Like, I, there's certainly a time and a place for like a the right level of vulnerability. But I, I like, I think the stuff that has, has gotten the best response or when I'm being honest about, like, I saw this thing that didn't really broke my heart. Like, I, how are you guys doing with it? And plenty of people have laughed that off and said, you're a leader now. You're not supposed to be vulnerable like that. And I just don't agree. Like I don't, I've spent so much of my life avoiding churches and leaders that just seemed like they were always on, you know, like they're always, there's always a, uh, an angle or a motive or like some bumper sticker solution. And I think, I think I always knew that that just didn't, that what, that wasn't the whole story. And sure. so online, I think, you know, whether it's a, regardless of what it is that you're trying to get out, I think people really, really resonate with humanity. They resonate with people who are actually being themselves. So for someone else to like, well, then I'm going to start posting puns. Like, well, if you don't like puns, don't do that. That's stupid. Like that's, you know, but like if you're really into baseball, then like, it's okay. You don't have to be Mr. Marketer all the time. Like, like interact with people on a game that broke your heart, like, or a trade that didn't make sense to you. Like there's all these opportunities to just be people. And I feel like sometimes we really do the platform a disservice by like only using it as this, like the stream to output my information. It's the same problem, right? It's, it's, it's just speaking it's not listening to understand, it's listening to respond. And the problem is we've some we've somehow jumped the shark even on listening at all. And I'm just a constant stream of you should you should be paying attention to my opinion about this thing. Right. And the thing like there's been stuff that I think you mentioned it, that some of the stuff that's been like really fascinating are like, you know, I'll post a picture of like five different kinds of bacon, you know, like not cooked at all or really cooked. I'm like, sure. which kind do you like? People it's fascinating to me. People that I haven't heard from in years 
are like weighing in on like what the best bacon is. <laughs> and again, at the surface, that's a little silly, but like, I think of like the best relationships that I have in like, you know, physical space and time. There's always an element of silliness, right? If I go out for lunch with a friend from college, it is, we don't, like when you and I hung out, we didn't like drill right into business. You're like, all right, we're gonna deal with this and deal with this. I gotta talk about this thing, goodbye. We're like, it's, it's jokes and it's, it's all this other stuff that I feel like when we extract all of that away from you know, our, our online presence, it comes across as pretty utilitarian and, and people know when they're being used to, to move a product down the field or to, to move more units. You know? And I think the more that we can just be human in ourselves and actually care about people's responses, I think mm -hmm. people, I just think people resonate with that. That's so great. Thanks so much, Ian. Oh, my pleasure. So before we sign off here, um, where can people find you if they want to learn more about, like if they've really loved what you've had to say and they want to learn more about your different projects or the church that you work at, any of that kind of stuff, where can they find you? Yeah, there, okay, there's a couple of areas. I'm embarrassed to admit that I own iansimpkins.com. Uh, I had a friend say you should buy this like 10 years ago and I don't Our know. <laughs> so, yep, right. Well, yeah, iansimpkins.com, uh, which I think right now we'll just forward to the common year. So you can go to beautyinthecommon.com. You can go to thecommonyear.com. Uh, if you're interested in church stuff, you can go to communitychristian.org. Um, and I'm at the Naperville location. So if you want to go to locations and all of that. Um, but, you I, you know, I'm on Twitter, at Ian Simpkins. Super boring. Um, I used to blog a little bit. I don't know that I really do that anymore. but um, you yeah, just have things going on, right? Yeah, I don't know that owning domains means having things going on. I'm like a domain junkie. I buy domains for ideas that I've done nothing with <laughs> for no reason at all. I have not, it's a real problem, but yeah, that's most of those are, there's stuff on YouTube, I think. And there's probably stuff elsewhere that I don't know about. I'm scared now, now that I'm thinking about this out loud, <laughs> there might be stuff out there that I'm completely unaware of. Another so you have between now and when this episode goes live. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go scrub the internet as soon as we're done talking. Your act online. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good gravy. Oh, man. Well, thank you so much, Ian, for joining us and for sharing all this amazing wisdom with our listeners and with our audience and just helping us improve how we are going about building influence online. I am truly honored that you asked. I am so grateful for you as a friend and as a creative. And I, I love, I love what you're doing here. I think this is great. Awesome. Thanks.